you sort of pick up on the energy at the meeting here. Like we all realize the gift that we have and wanting to make sure we do all this work right. But I feel confident in the fact that we have the language now, like the scientific language to describe the outcomes that we're seeing. And that's what makes me so happy and so excited is really those pieces coming together. And it's going to revolutionize, well, it's going to revolutionize humanity, but it's going to revolutionize neuropsychiatry for sure. Hi there. Welcome to the Trip Report podcast by Beckley Waves. This is Zach Higney. I want to take just a few minutes to talk about what we're up to here, what you can expect, and what we're hoping to accomplish. I started writing the Trip Report about four years ago to chronicle the business, science, and policy developments of the emerging psychedelic field. And on the face of it, this too is a podcast about psychedelics. But while this is an organizing and central theme, it is really about the many different domains that are converging to bring about this field and the assembly of what many, including myself, believe to be a new paradigm in science, medicine, and our understanding of the human experience. In a recent essay, I invoked the ancient parable of the blind man and the elephant as the defining metaphor to describe the diversity of subdomains in the psychedelic space. The beauty and the challenge of this field is that it has innumerable parts. The treatment of mental illness, cutting-edge neuroscience and psychopharmacology, drug policy reform, interface with the healthcare system, the study of consciousness, indigenous history and rights, the list goes on. As noted in the title, this is the trip report by Beckley Waves. Beckley Waves is a venture studio founded by psychedelic science and policy pioneer Amanda Fielding. Our mission is to support the infrastructure for safe, legal, and accessible psychedelic experiences for all flavors of human flourishing, mental health, the betterment of the well, spiritual growth. We do this by incubating high-impact companies internally and supporting early-stage founders, often with the first check-in. The Trip Report newsletter, and now this podcast, is our attempt at fostering an educated and informed psychedelic ecosystem. Our goal here is to bring on the best minds in the field for conversations about the science, business, policy, and many other facets of this emerging ecosystem. Today's first guest is Dr. Amy Cruz. Dr. Cruz is a neuroscientist, general partner, and chief investment officer at Satori Neuro, a venture capital fund focused on mental health, neurotechnology, and human flourishing. Amy earned a Bachelor of Science in Cell and Structural Biology and a PhD in Neuroscience from the University of Illinois at Champaign-Urbana. She went on to serve as a program manager at DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. At DARPA, she oversaw the agency's first performance-oriented neuroscience programs and orchestrated scientific breakthroughs in augmented cognition, accelerated learning, optimized imagery analysis, team neurodynamics, and neuromodulation. After DARPA, she served as the Vice President and Chief Technology Officer of Cubic Global Defense and then the Chief Scientific Officer of Optios. Prior to joining Satori Neuro, Dr. Cruz was a general partner at Prime Movers Lab, where she led the fund's life science investments in human augmentation and longevity. In this episode, we talk about the neuroscience of learning and its application in improving human performance, what makes experts experts, and the ingredients for mastery, the connection between meditation research and psychedelic research, and the varieties of neuroplasticity and neurotechnology. 
I think this is the perfect conversation to launch the Trip Report podcast because it both ranges widely and dives deep into the details that are relevant to the field of psychedelic science and novel approaches to human flourishing. If you enjoy this conversation, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and head over to thetripreport.com to sign up to receive the newsletter and podcast directly to your inbox. And without further ado, I bring you Dr. Amy Cruz. Are we are we recording? We're rolling. I love it when that's the the vibe. So we are here at Maps Psychedelic Science 2023. It's pretty wild. Twelve thousand people, I think, is the estimated attendees. There's programming like, I, I mean, nonstop. You know, I remember I had a teacher <laughs> like when I was younger. I had a teacher who told me like the I think it was the Natural History Museum in New York, like one lifetime wasn't enough to see all of the exhibits. Yes. And I feel like that's kind of the, the way that this is here. Yeah. So what, what's been, what, what have you been enjoying about the conference and what's been exciting for you and conference or extracurricular activities or hallway conversations or meetings? Yeah. So for me, this is a bit magical because there are still many people here that I haven't yet connected with like in person and so I feel like I'm walking around with like a bingo card like <laughs> checking people off you know like oh I've got oh I got three to like yeah. you know and I, I'm sure I can turn in my bingo card at the end for yeah. like a valuable prize or something like but, but that so for me that's that was like I I set my intention you know mm -hmm. we talked about here at MAPS kind of setting an intention for for just to connect with those humans that I've been you know spending so much time with on zoom and, yeah and haven't had any time with the second thing is to meet companies, you know, yeah. there, there are several companies that are here that I'm really interested in having deeper conversations with that really provides the opportunity to kind of sit down one-on-one -on -one with those CEOs yeah. and again, kind of look humans in the eye yeah. and, and investing is a very human business. Yeah. Even there's a lot of, a lot of finance to it. Um, and then personally just getting inspired, you know, when you do your piece of the ecosystem, yeah. you know, you often, get a little detached Tunnel at times vision. from yeah. from kind of the bigger piece. And so for me, it's been around inspiration and, and just feeling connected to the much larger ecosystem and network. And this is like the energy, the, the group of humans that are here yeah. is, is pretty awesome. And I mean, I, I spend a lot of time with like awesome humans because like neuroscientists are a lot of fun too. Yeah. They're not this much fun, <laughs> but they're, you know, so so that's that's been a great part of it. Cool. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. But you mentioned you're an investor. And before we get into that part of, of your work, I think you have a really unique background and I'm pretty excited to dive into it. Sure. We started talking about it at, uh, at a party the other night, but yeah. I thought, let me save it for the podcast. Um, but what's your story? How do you how do you tell people who you are? How did I get here? Yeah. How did I get here? Uh, well, actually, you know, it's, it's funny because I often start very young. So I, I, I tell people I was born a little scientist to two high school English teachers. Oh, wow. And so I knew from very, very early on I wanted to be a scientist. And my parents were like, oh, what do we do with this? <laughs> and so my my dad's best friend was the biology teacher at the high school. And he oh, was cool. like, we'll get her a microscope. That'll, <laughs> that'll fix everything, you know. So so that was how I sort of went down the biology track yep. and, and really kind of stayed on that well into college. And then it was about halfway through undergrad. I was a cell and structural biology major. Very, very catchy, catchy title. And I discovered neuroscience. Mm -hmm. I sort of had my first like real sessions in understanding the way the brain works and learning and memory and development and like 
all those people. And I, I like, I literally, I kid you not, I fell in love. Mm. Like I fell in love with the brain. Yeah. And that took me on the trajectory to getting my PhD in neuroscience. And, but, but sometimes when you fall in love, you know, no. So uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, about halfway through graduate school, I decided I absolutely wanted to be a neuroscientist, but I didn't want to be an academic. Mm. And at the time, that was not a very popular decision. Yeah. Like that was really tough. It was a tough personal decision. Yeah. It was tough to communicate to, you know, my advisor and yeah. you know other things like that. But but I knew the the reason was was that I really wanted to do something applied, and I didn't know how to harness that energy and it was like okay you could go into pharma or yeah. and it was at like literally at that like I'm making the gesture of like I don't know what to do next yeah, you know yeah. sort of sort of what to do next one of my colleagues who was in the lab with us um he had moved out to Washington DC and had started working with the Department of Defense mm -hmm. in like biology and science and stuff like that and I was like really <laughs> like what are, what are they you doing can do that <laughs> yeah what are they doing you know and so it was right at that moment that the Department of Defense was starting to move away, I would say, from like more classical molecular biology that was just sort of focused on threat reduction and things like that. They were starting to turn their eyes towards the brain and neuroscience and human performance mm -hmm. and kind of how all that played together. And they, you know, like a lot of things, like in the DOD or in, in, in the government, they didn't have a lot of experience in that space. So they were really looking to recruit and, and bring you know, technology talent and, yeah. and intellectual talent into the government to to work on those problems. And you, what was your focus in graduate school? Learning and memory. Right. So I was a learning and memory kind of gal. Can I ask you how you study learning and memory as a as a PhD student? Is that with mice? Is that with brain scans? Like what is what is like the day to day over a course of however many years? I play? studied learning and memory in songbirds. Songbirds. Yes. That's incredible. Why yeah. songbirds? Yes, because uh, the specific species of songbirds that we worked on, zebra finches. Uh huh. Um, so there are there are the zebra finch. Yeah. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. So there so there are there are species of birds that sing stereotypical songs. You think of robins, cardinals, goldfinches. That that are yeah. that are they don't learn those. They don't learn. They're they're born essentially knowing what to sing. Interesting. And then there are birds who are not born knowing what to sing. They actually have no song. Uh, as they mature, and they have to be tutored, in this case by males of their species, in order to develop and learn their own individual song. And there are there's brain circuitry that is devoted to birds learning their song no in way. these species. And so what we did was we also looked at, so in, in addition to looking at the um, electrophysiology of those networks and how you know song essentially gets learned and crystallized. There are uh, molecular cascades, you know, sort of genes and, and other things that turn on, genes and proteins that get synthesized, that crystallize, help crystallize that song. And then also inter-bird communication. Mm -hmm. So males of the same flock can recognize each other by their song. And so you have this like really cool- That's incredible. Yeah, super cool, right? Wow. So were you out in the field? Were we had We had our own aviary. Yeah. No way. Yeah, That's so own. cool. And I, I love, it's interesting because I'm also a bird watcher. Like I love birds. So. That's fascinating. So yeah. you've identified a, a species of birds that learn song 
and that's what you studied in, in yeah yeah memory. so studied studied all the brain you know essentially the brain networks the electrophysiology and the molecular cascades that go along and when you say molecular cascades is that like from gene to protein, protein yep. to yep. the to, effect of the protein yeah, exactly to, to essentially that that song you know what we call we call it crystallized right so that the birds themselves they have what they, what's called a critical period so yeah. a juvenile has a critical period they have to learn and kind of get that song yeah. down pat and then that window closes interesting so, so did you study birds that missed the window no i studied birds that were both learning their songs for the first time as well as birds that were communicating but there were other people in the in the field because that's a that's a popular topic right now because of the recent Gould Dolan from Johns Hopkins just published a paper that is looking at various psychedelic compounds in mice I think it was yeah. and 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 the upshot is is that these compounds reopen a right. critical period yep so so are you proposing giving psychedelics to birds <laughs> is that what you're saying that's, I think that would solve society's issues, right? Like, <laughs> well, we could, I mean, it's out. a model system, so. <laughs> Did you study psychedelics? No. In birds? No, 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 okay. no, no. This is a long time ago. Okay. Long time ago, long time But now I'm going to deviate from my course of action and satisfy my own curiosity. Can you tell me what a critical period is, like molecularly, physiologically? I mean, it, it's, a, it's a period in which right. it's a things Right, it's can a period of time... It's essentially a period of time when there is kind of like structural and molecular neuroplasticity mm -hmm. in the system, mm -hmm. right? So the system is kind of like keyed up and ready Malleable. to learn. Right. right. It's keyed up and ready to learn. And then the essentially the mechanisms for them to learn the song or to take in the piece of information, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Is it? Whatever. Is like so so it's, so it's malleable and it's ready to learn and then exposure to a stimulus is what then imprints that in right and then there's a whole you know field of of folks research in that space it's like oh can they learn song just from audio tape to the, oh, you know can they learn it you know if they learn it from a male like you know right, sort of right, teasing right. apart like how much multimodal yeah uh, input do right, they need right. in order to, in order to do that. Yeah, so they definitely need to in, in in as it typically happens in the wild. Yeah, the juvenile would essentially follow the male around. Oh, interesting. Right, and so kind of like pick up little little phrases and songs from from that tutor. So ostensibly, it's about a song, but it sounds like there's some social. Yeah, yeah, because they're they're flock birds. Yeah, so they, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. I know it's super cool, right? So, so moving on from songbirds to the Department of Defense. Right. Yes. Yes. Natural, natural transition. transition. That's that's yep. how I that's how Makes I see it. Complete sense. Absolutely. Yep. That's what everybody thought when I did it. <laughs> a well-trod path. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, th this will be a theme. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, so uh, started out by advising sort of the the Department of Defense on various projects that were starting to incorporate neuroscience and, and neurotechnology as it was at the time. And then after doing that for about three years, became a government program manager at DARPA, mm -hmm. so Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency in the Defense Science Office. And at that time, really had an like carte blanche to say, okay, how can we use neuroscience, neurotechnology, what we've learned from this field in order to essentially improve human performance. And so I started a range of programs in accelerated learning and training and trying to prevent sleep deprivation and understanding the brains of analysts who are making complex decisions and, and recording those in real time. And yeah. we, 
honestly, we asked a lot of questions that the field had not asked before because of the nature of the work, right? Yeah. Like, like you have to, something has to be deployable or fieldable or, you know, something has to be done in real time. And, and at the time it was sort of like, no, 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 no. You can only record brain signals in this Faraday cage tucked away in this corner of the whatever. And we were like, well, that's not going to work. We're gonna have to, do, you know, we're gonna have to figure it out. Yeah. And why would you want to look at brain signals in real time? Yeah. Who would do that? You would always do post hoc, you know, whatever. And so we asked some really fundamental questions in those programs yeah. that then, you know, now has become really some of the foundational work for the field of applied neuroscience, which is what I always wanted to do. And so, is this like application of this? Is this like the environment in which people are in? Is it a certain stimuli? Is it a certain chemical that people are like i guess what i'm asking is how do i improve my performance of Depends memory on retention trying to improve acquisition yeah. yeah yeah no so so that's a great question so i think i think there are two things one is that based on this work and and obviously based on a lot of a lot of the work that's happened since then we do know that there are mechanisms to improve sort of some of those basic cognitive functions. Like if you want to work on your memory, mm -hmm. like we know how to, you know, like essentially there's cognitive training out there right now that that has been, you know, sort of proven in the literature, ways of doing that. If you want to improve your visual processing, mm -hmm. you could either be a video gamer or you, you know, like there's yeah, there's yeah. tools and techniques now to, to improve those, what I would call kind of like baseline yeah. cognitive functions. Yeah. And you can go specific and say, I want to get better at this thing. Yeah. Right. So for example, in the accelerated learning program, we worked with expert marksmen. So expert shooters, yeah, right? Yeah. And we we essentially like mapped their brains out in real time and figured out that like, oh, they have this very repeatable brain pattern right. that they go into before they take a perfect or near perfect shot. Hmm, maybe we could use that to train novices and other folks who aren't kind of like at that mastery level. So we developed neurofeedback techniques. I was just going to ask, so was that then a neurofeedback? Yeah, yeah, that was a neurofeedback system, uh, essentially, to train individuals who, you know, you still have to have the motor skills. Like yeah, you still have to yeah, get yeah, that, yeah. the gun part right, right, you know, but in terms of the brain part, right, controlling physiology, controlling your breath, controlling your heart rate, and actually entering this sort of, you know, it's not a, people are like, oh, is it a meditation zone? It's, it's, it's a very focused brain state that happens before you take a motor action. So it's not eyes closed, right? Yeah. You're not trying to like zen out. You're actually trying to like control your physiology and focus. And that's okay. trainable. Yeah. That, yeah. that piece mm -hmm. of yeah. physiology maps onto a behavioral right. thing, which maps onto an experience. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, so, so that, I want to learn that. Okay. Let's just like table okay. that. I, right. I okay. want to we'll learn. Put that, we'll put that aside. But that's, so that's what I tell people is like, it depends on what you're interested in. If you're interested in kind of just getting better at, you know, having, you know, being faster at visual processing or something like that, like there are absolutely ways of doing that. And then if you want to get really specific about a task or some element of, of, you know, a workflow, mm -hmm. right. It takes a little work to figure out maybe what that signature is. And we yeah. can talk about that a little bit later. Cause that's some of what I've done later on in my entrepreneurship journey. Oh, but, interesting. Yeah. Why don't we go right into that? Well, we have to finish my oh, sorry. DOD sorry. time. Yep, go. <laughs> carry on. <laughs> and then 10 years passed. No. Um, Can you help me relearn patience? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, you probably want meditation for that one. <laughs> <laughs> or we could zap you, we could zap your brain. So anyway, so, so I was at DARPA for five years. Yeah. DARPA is a term limited appointment in the government. Mm. So you have to leave. 
And the reason they do that is so that there's not a lot of like institutional inertia for mm. new ideas, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, you don't want anybody around to say, oh, we already did that and it didn't work. Yeah, you know? yeah, so, yeah. so you want people to be able to kind of like revisit topics and revisit ideas. Um, so after that, I stayed in the defense sector. So um, I went to a company that was building very high-end uh, military training systems mm -hmm. using gaming technology. So we did some of the first like really 3D immersive rendered mm -hmm. uh, real uh, geography right. work. And what I brought to the table was kind of helping them build out some of the business units and, and infusing it with some of that cognitive science, neuroscience, like the learning elements. We did some of the first closed loop virtual reality work ah. uh, using the brain in real time to sort of influence yeah. scenarios and, and things like that. Um, Can you just take a moment to say what closed loop? Oh yeah, is? sure. Yeah, it's one of my closed loop is one of my favorite things. No, um, so it's essentially taking a, a physiological or brain signal in real time, um, either EEG, yeah, or yeah, heart rate, heart rate, yeah. Uh, galvanic, you know, it's something, yeah. you know, something that has a reasonable time period, um, you know, in the order of seconds, yeah, right? Yeah. Not in the order of minutes, yeah. right? But in the order of seconds, and and using that input to then change something about the environment. Yeah, the right. environment, yeah. a computational system, a brain computer interface, you know, some type of, of of thing like that. And it depends. You can feed in like in the case of heart rate, you don't need to do a lot of fancy math, right? Mm -hmm. You can just feed in a heart rate signal. But in the case of brain signals from yeah, EEG, yeah. typically puts through some type of algorithm right. that's either frequency based that yeah. you're like, oh, I want alpha or beta or something to drive this. Yeah. Or if you have a little bit more sophisticated algorithm, you yeah. can say, hey, I have an algorithm for attention or focus, and I want that algorithm to sort of drive yeah, yeah. Uh, the interaction. And so that was we were quite successful in in implementing that, which is pretty cool. So basically, you would you would take that feedback and it would change the environment in which somebody is in, and that would then closed loop piece of it is that right. that would change the physiology and it would create this feedback loop right. whereby exactly exactly yeah. so if somebody and was you in can a, optimize that for learning right is that the idea? exactly yeah. and if somebody's in like a you know let's say somebody's in a training scenario and they're um, you don't. There's this sort of like I don't know if you've heard of the Yerkes-Dodson curve. This sort of this like U-shaped curve, and it's it essentially says that like not enough stress or excitement or energy right into oh, a system. Oh, it's the biphasic dose response curve. Is yeah, U-shaped curve. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in the case of performance, it's called the Yerkes-Dodson curve. Anyway, too much over is bad. Like too much overstimulation, overstress, whatever is bad. Too little is bad, and you kind of want to be in this sweet middle spot, right? And so think about a closed loop system where you're trying to like get somebody in that right zone, right? Where you're kind of trying to dial them in. If somebody's overstressed and they're pegged, you want to dial that scenario Stress back. as measured by HRV yeah, or Yeah, could be whatever. measured by HRV, heart rate, galvanic skin response. Again, all know, of those can be yeah. algorithmatized. That's a word I'm sure. Yep. To, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, cool, right? Is that uniform across like organisms or systems or... So in a previous life, I was obsessed with the hormetic dose response. Oh, sure. So the bi you know, like mm -hmm. kind of low dose stressors. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. Mark Matson and mm -hmm. Ed Calabrese, yeah, like yeah, kind yeah. of okay. like their work. I thought because so much of exercise, whether it's fasting mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. thermal conditioning or something like acupuncture or herbal sort of like all of these things, kind of like I thought mimicking that kind of response. Right, a low enough dose would upregulate sort of adaptive response. Right. Overshoot that curve and you're right. harming the organism, right? right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I just That's an interesting question. I don't I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever mapped that out for from a 
like that performance perspective mm-hmm. on on sort of different species or systems. I know that it's certainly not the same for everyone, right? Yeah. In terms of like, right, it's right. not, yeah. it's not consistent it's, across. I mean, no. the, the the overall observation is consistent yeah, across humans, yeah. but there's a lot but of inter- there's a lot of interhuman variability. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and, it, and that's one of the things I think, you know, hearkening back to some of the work that we've done, you know, that we did at DARPA and then and, and work that we did in, elsewhere with very high performance individuals, experts, like that's part of what makes experts experts, right? That's part of what makes a high performance athlete like truly extraordinary. Is what they is have that, that they have that dialed in for them. They know where their right. sweet spot is yeah. and they know how right. to and, and they're often yeah. training to keep themselves in that zone. The rest of us are kind of like you know, bumbling around, sort of finding the edges of that, right? And so to me, that's what sort of makes a master or uh, or a high performance, you know, kind of person be so exceptional is yeah. like their ability, A, their ability to dial themselves into that space, right, that, that right. high performance space, and the resilience that they have to get back there. Yeah. Right. Like you, yeah. So you, you know, that's a, Probably a, another another whole topic, right? But but that'll be our, our of, second podcast. Oh, okay, second podcast we'll talk about. So I stayed in the I, I stayed in the DoD. Obviously, did this work, you know, with this the software company. We were eventually acquired by a much larger defense company, publicly traded defense company, and I became their chief technology officer, mm-hmm. which is amazing because they had a global footprint, and so I kind of got to take my R and D and innovation. Oh, sweet energy yeah, yeah. into into that space you know through that process realized i probably uh didn't want to stay in the defense industry forever mm-hmm. <laughs> my neuroscience was still you remember my love mm-hmm. my love neuroscience was calling me back um and so kind of made a hard right into uh entrepreneurship and was a co-founder chief scientific officer at a um a startup doing applied neuroscience for human performance not on the defense side but executives, professional sports teams, financial traders. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? People looking for an edge with their brain. Yeah. So we took a lot of the work that we had done at DARPA and, and, and work that had been, had been done since then. And it was really at a time, and I think we're in the middle of this time now, certainly uh, starting back then as well, where people were starting to separate kind of performance physiology, yeah. performance psychology, and then there's like, wait, there's also like a neuroscience component to that. So it's not just like emotional regulation. There are some really fundamental things that, you know, professional athletes and other athletes, you know, thinking about working with athletes can yeah. do to improve their brain performance. And, and so do you mean like cer- sort of certain circuits or pathways that are like more finely tuned or is it like a molecular sort of like thing? Yeah, I would say I would say it's more about, you know, it's more about processing, processing speed, okay. the networks that they're yeah. drawing on. And again, hearkening back to the work that we've done in accelerated learning, like expert performers do have different brains, right, than than non-expert performers. So As a ex- result of nature or nurture? I would say, in my opinion, there's probably, you know, some folks who have, you know, some exceptional capacities, but it but I would say most most things can be trained. Like mm. if you really dedicate. So glad you said that. Really dedicate. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I, you know, that's because I believe in neuroplasticity right yeah. now. It's not ma- like neuroplasticity is not magic. Right. Right. You need motivation. Yeah. 
intention, yeah. feedback in real time. Like there, there are things that contribute to the creation of mastery, right, but our right. brains, you know, are, are malleable. Yeah. And are plastic enough yeah. and, and things like that. And I would say, you, you know, people are like, Oh, you can't teach an old dog. new. You can teach an old dog new tricks, but they have to be motivated, <laughs> you know, they yeah, have to be motivated yeah. and you know, you get feedback and yeah, you know, yeah. so, so those types of things. So anyway, so, so that's a lot of what we were working with. And it, again, turns out that great basketball players have incredible visual processing right, and right. three dimensional, you know, calculation capabilities in, in sort of the spatial sphere. And you can train that. Like there are now training systems and, and things like that. And you can measure those changes in the brain, right? And so that's how it kind of anchors all together is like, it's not just like, oh, do this thing. It's like, no, follow this training regimen, you know, do these cognitive tasks, right, right. engage in this particular type of environment. And oh, by the way, we can measure how your brain changes over time and bring those skills online. And so that was, you know, that was a lot of the work that we were doing, you know, at that startup. And that startup's still around, doing great, but COVID was obviously a challenge for many folks who were doing human anything, really. <laughs> human anything. Contact. <laughs> yeah. Human. Of any no, sort. <laughs> no humans, no human performance. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so it was at, at that point that I got into venture mm -hmm. investing. So the largest investor in, in that company, Prime Movers Lab, which is the deep tech mm -hmm. venture investing firm approached me about uh, joining the team. They were raising fund too. And they had a, in addition to, you know, transportation and infrastructure and space and all this great stuff they were working on, they had a focus area in human augmentation, which is like yeah. what I do. Yes, please. <laughs> I was like, and that's what I do. So that gave me an opportunity to kind of shift, you know, roles out of the operator yep. role into an investor role and start looking at, you know, all the things I love in neurotechnology, brain computer interfaces, non-invasive and invasive, mm -hmm. neurostimulation, uh, novel molecules in the psychedelic medicine and mental health space, and also um, regenerative medicine and, mm -hmm. and longevity. So that was kind of the, the, how I got into that space. And then cool. more recently with Satori Capital. So Satori, uh, I, I, I met uh, met Satori through through Prime Rivers Lab, and we had co-invested together on yeah. a couple of uh, of opportunities. And uh, Satori was really interested in leaning in quite heavily into the mental health and brain health and wellness, and I call it human flourishing yeah. space. And so the opportunity to come on board and and lead up this new fund, Satori yeah. Neuro, to me it feels like the culmination of, yeah. of sort of this whole pathway. And, and to me, honestly, it's a it's a through line to kind of where I started at DARPA with human performance and really figuring out ways of, of leveraging neuroscience and neurotechnology to where we are now. And, you know, feels like such a, like a, a, an abundance, yeah. right? Like, and that's for me and, and kind of anchoring it. And we can, we can talk about how I kind of got curious about the, the psychedelic space, but for me, we are now developing this incredible toolkit mm -hmm. And, you know, psychedelic medicines are part of that. We is in humanity. Yeah. 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 And, and But we also have neurostimulation. We all, you know, we, we, yeah. have, we have a lot of optionality yeah. here. Yeah. And I think that's one of the exciting, exciting things for me. Yeah. When I'd gotten curious about what was happening in psychedelic medicine, it was back before I started investing. It was a neuroscience curiosity. Uh -huh. Longtime meditator and was loving the neuroscience studies coming out around you know, the brain networks of meditators mm -hmm. and the networks that were involved and, you know, just sort of starting to see all these pieces fit together. And then I started to see the data 
around, you know, kind of what humans' brains look like, right, on on psychedelic medicines. And I was like, I know those networks. Light bulb went off. Right. I was yeah. like, I I recognize these systems. Yeah. Right. And so for me, it was a realization that where we had been and, and neuroscience, the field itself came out of a very molecular place. Like, yeah. you know, we started studying synapses and yeah. breaking down the yeah. neurotrans. Like it was yeah. very molecular. Yeah. Right. And I think that for me was sort of the moment where neuroscience now is, is shifting to more of this systems perspective right. and thinking about the networks yeah. and not just, you know, I, I call it blobology, not just right. like this does this yeah, and this yeah. lights up here. And, you know, it's, it's about, the networks and and thinking about maybe what's happening in in mental health and neuropsychiatry less from this like oh i need to adjust these tiny little knobs you know but like oh this is a network shift yeah. and how do i get that whole network yeah. shifted back in that direction and so that was for me the mm. the real curiosity of how i got into that space and then you start looking at you know, the results from individuals working with these molecules and these medicines, and you're like, okay, this is the right direction. Like, we're on, like, we're, we're on, on to something. something. Yeah. <laughs> we're on to something. But that's been a long time coming, right? Yeah. Like, and, I, and I do think, you know, I've had people ask me, like, why now, right? Like, we had evidence, you know, back in the 50s and 60s that these molecules and these mm -hmm. medicines mm -hmm. were clinically relevant. Yeah. We didn't have the language. Yeah. We didn't even have the neuroscience language yeah. to describe why these worked. Right, right. Right. It was like, they work. You know, you sort of pick up on the energy at the meeting here. Like, we all realize, like, the gift that we have yeah. and wanting to yeah. make sure we do all this work right. Right. But I feel confident in the fact that we have the language yeah. now, like, yeah. the scientific language yeah. to describe the outcomes that we're seeing. Yeah. And that's what makes me so happy and so excited yeah. is is really those pieces coming together. Yeah. And it's gonna revolutionize, well, it's gonna revolutionize humanity, but it's gonna revolutionize neuropsychiatry for sure. So I've been thinking about these things as like, a, uh, I'm kind of putting my finger into the air. You know, I know enough to be dangerous. You know, I know how to read scientific papers to a degree that like, might scare some people okay. Me, meaning like like i don't i don't know what i don't know but i also am like i'm developing a sense of like what the things that are coming yeah. into work into the world and so i noticed a few years ago like this sort of advent of you know it was after achille mm -hmm. um sure, therapeutics course, or yeah. achille interactive yeah, like, yeah of course yep. created their product which was a closed loop system absolutely so yeah. i dove into adam ghazali's yeah, work totally. and all of that kind of stuff and yeah. i was like huh you know, there's this idea of like, I don't know if you, if it's still sort of the thing, but like the said principle, right? Specific adaptation to impose demand, which is sort of like what I think you're getting at with like training and modulating sort of nervous systems. And then with psychedelics, you know, at, at sort of like the layman's person view, which is me, is like, oh, they kind of create this sort of potential for malleability. And so this combination of these two, like, I don't know if you'd call them flavors of neuroplasticity, where you're like, a recent paper by Carhart Harris and company, I say and company, not at all, because mm. I'm a layman, mm. postulated sort of this, this idea of neural annealing, which mm -hmm. is sort of like, I think they kind of referenced like 
increasing the temperature of the tissue, like as a metaphor, not yeah, necessarily. Yeah, yeah. No, that's like, a, yeah, kind of like, for sure. It's a metallurgy sort of analogy yeah. where you're sort of softening the structure, softening the crystallization yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. and then applying sort of like a load, you might say, right? Mm -hmm, like a, mm -hmm. maybe perhaps in that sweet spot of like the stress response curve. Right. And that is just like, if you can dial that in, I mean, maybe I'm getting ahead of it, and but like that feels like you can do anything with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like yeah. that's the thing yeah. that's well, and that's and that's the thing I would say is that we we really haven't had we've danced around the edges I think in the neurocognitive space about like how to get back to neuroplasticity. Like it can happen unfortunately, right? Like you could have a stroke totally, totally. and then your brain is like, okay, I gotta, I gotta rewire. You right. know, you, and so I think, I think we've been, again, developing ways of inducing or, or, you know, creating these, these neuroplastic moments. And I think, again, these molecules and medicines seem to be a very powerful way of, of getting yeah. that state. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and to be used carefully, right. Cause anytime you, you know, kind of create a, uh, a neuroplastic state, you're you're opening up to right. new inputs and and new information, well, right? The and thing so that's sort of like where my mind goes is like the field right now is focused on mental health, sure. you say, kind of writ yep. large, right? Yep. So depression, anxiety, substance use disorders, PTSD, like that's yep. sort of like the the first port of call, Absolutely. you might say. Yeah. But like when we kind of conceive of these things as like tools for learning, right? That's where it's like, oh, yeah. There's a lot more you can oh, do for sure. from a human's performance, from skill acquisition, from absolutely. modulating behavior or oh you know yeah, what I mean? like, absolutely. It absolutely. feels really like paradigmy. Yeah. Yeah. Can I use that word? You can use that word. Yeah. It's your podcast. That is correct. Damn right. <laughs> so what what are you we have about ten minutes left, which okay. is really unfortunate because this could go on. We're gonna do number two. We have to have her sign a contract. An agreement to do number two. Um, <laughs> what are you excited? Like, what are the companies or what are the projects that you're seeing now? To whatever extent you're able to talk about, like, yeah. what, what's exciting you? Yeah, yeah. So, 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 what's exciting me is, I would say, the overall ecosystem. Yeah. Coming at things from maybe a little bit more of a deep tech angle that I've been looking at things like sort of my DARPA brain, you mm -hmm. know, looking at sort of the hard technical challenges, and then now both from the work I've been doing and talking to companies as well as, you know, being here at the conference, just acknowledging how much work there is to do in the overall ecosystem. And so still wildly excited about therapeutics and, yeah. and new molecules and, and kind of where that space is going. And, and I think one of our colleagues from Psychedelic Alpha was sharing the bullseye chart, you know, just looking at like the number of things that are in development. And yeah. I feel like, okay, we've got, <laughs> got plenty in the hopper folks, yeah. you know, like we can shift our energies a little bit. So I would say, things that are exciting me are still the neurostimulation space. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. back in the day at DARPA, we did work with TDCS and, yeah. and using electrical stimulation in the brain. We now have the incredible results from the SAINT trial with transcranial magnetic stimulation and the ability to address um, uh, treatment-resistant depression uh, using that approach. Uh, Low-intensity focused ultrasound, which is next on the horizon. So it feels to me like it, talking about this sort of paradigm shifting, yeah. neuroplasticity, network changing tools. To me, I'm like, ooh, we've got two weighty things here, right? We have these molecules and medicines. We have what's going on in, in neuroscience itself, neurostimulation. So I'm I'm really excited about both of them. Yeah. I'm also potentially excited about the combination of both of them. Yeah, so yeah. those feel really important to me. Yeah. The second 
uh, you know, putting those two weighty pieces aside, what's happening in precision psychiatry and, yeah. and precision neuroscience, really understanding like who's a responder right, right. to a particular medicine or treatment or, or whatever, and who is not mm -hmm. like this that is will... go like I have goosebumps. This is going to blow open, right? Like because you won't be experimenting on yeah, people, yeah. right? You're not gonna be like, oh, put you on this for six months. Oh, right, that didn't work. Right, put you on right, this for six right. months. Like that's gonna be gone, and I'm really excited about that. It needs to be probably paired with you know a tool or a technique or something to kind of get it out there because mm -hmm, we still mm -hmm. don't have the mechanisms in kind of the healthcare industry to really leverage that yeah, yet but yeah. that is coming and that's going to radically change how we decide which care to deliver yeah. to individuals and then i think you know I'm, I'm gonna go on record as saying i think the way that we deliver like cns slash mental health slash neuroscience care is going to be different in the future mm -hmm. i don't think it is going to be the primary care physician, uh, neurologist, like, like I, I think, you know, whether that's through the new clinic model that's emerging, something else, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of seeing that's part of the conversations I'm having here at the conference, like who's doing what, what are they integrating together? Yeah, yeah. Like we're, it's going to be delivered differently yeah. and it's, and it's going to be more accessible and more understandable and yeah. more personalized. Yeah. More yeah. personalized. So those are the things that I'm really, that's what I'm really excited yeah. about. Because I just see a future where people are coming to places where they're holistically getting cared for. They're being given a personalized approach mm -hmm. that reflects their brain, their brain chemistry, maybe mm -hmm. their genetic, you know, whatever, whatever's relevant. And then the most efficacious treatment mm -hmm. for whatever they're seeking. Yeah. And to maybe just, you know, to go back to my, my DARPA days, that's just on the treatment side. Yeah. I think the optimization piece yeah. is is next. But we but we have we must answer this yeah. treatment piece. It is so urgent yeah. that I'm not I'm not focusing my attention on the human optimization piece, right, even though right. I know it's there, I can yeah, see it. Yeah. But I'm like, this is so pressing, we must, you know, yeah. we must put our efforts there. And I believe that it it, it when we do that, when we go for the, those clinical outcomes yeah it also gives veracity and substance to then the things the, that we might do you know in the performance optimization space yeah. rather than the other way around right. and that's something you know for me that i learned over time right you know i i started out in the human performance and optimization right. space right. and now i'm you know both feet in in sort of the clinical world yeah. and you're like oh what, what what changed and you're like well the urgency of it and I believe this is the right way, right. the right order yeah. to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That feels right to me. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So I think your career has tracked the evolution of the neuroscience field, right? Yes, like from it has. like, you know, <laughs> like basic animal research to applied in right. like, you know, government settings, yep. maybe like more crude tools or like, you know, the, just the very beginnings of it yeah. and then into the commercialization yeah. and now into like this like new paradigm thing that's coming. So you have a really unique lens on yeah. this, this whole thing. It's a, I mean, it's, I, I couldn't, as I tell people, like I couldn't have planned it if I tried, like, yeah. you know, but I, but it was, it was a, I will say the thing that was intentional about it was being fearless, yeah. right? Like when there was a chance to take a turn and go like, I don't know how this is gonna turn out, I took it, mm -hmm. right? And so 
that has reinforced in me sort of this, you know, this ability to sort of go into new spaces and yeah. say, okay, I'll, I'll explore this. It might work. It might not work. But I, I really trust the, that I'm, I'm, I'm headed somewhere, Yeah, you yeah. know, and it's a privilege to have all those experiences. Mm -hmm. Like I, it's one of the things that I, you know, as I've, as I've gotten older that I really treasure, you know, it's hard to treasure those things when you're in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, like, whoa, that was tough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now I really treasure that because as an investor and as I work with the CEOs and, and companies in, in my portfolio, I feel like I could communicate with those folks really authentically. Like, oh, I was, <laughs> I did that or I went, I was yeah. here, I, yeah. you know, or this is how you decode this thing. Yeah. You know, so that I, I do feel like that, that type of experience has made me a better service to the CEOs that I work with, which is like the best part of being an yeah. investor is, is making things possible for the folks who are doing these incredible work. Right. So. Well, Amy, our time is up, unfortunately. <laughs> But this has been awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate you. your your time and your enthusiasm and your wealth of knowledge and the way you map that out. I'm really excited about, like, again, I, I have been kind of observing the field, trying to make sense of it from a, a non-technical background standpoint. And I'm just getting goosebumps the way you're describing it because it's like I, I feel like I'm picking up on the trends that you're picking up on. And so, yeah, I, use that lens. Like yeah. now that, now that we've had this conversation, you know, take, take that lens out into the, mm -hmm. the space with you. And I think you'll see, I think you'll see what's happening as I, as I do. Um, do you want us to plug where people can find the, the, the ever present question in the end of podcast, where can people find you or do you want to stay anonymous? Of all my social medias, I'm on LinkedIn the most. So that's kind of a, a good spot, but of course, you know, I'm on the Satori website and cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks for joining us, Amy, and thanks for enjoy me. the rest of the conference. Yeah, I will. This has been great. Thanks for listening to the Trip Report. We hope you enjoyed it. You can sign up to receive our free newsletter and get the podcast sent directly to your inbox by going to thetripreport.com. This podcast is a production from Beckley Waves, a psychedelic venture studio. If you're interested in learning more about building companies in the psychedelic space, head over to BeckleyWaves.com to get in touch. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. I'm Zach Hegney. The Trip Report is produced by Kula Production Company with coordination from Caitlin Jabari. See you next time.